This Cap Times podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Learn more at exactsciences.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Live from Cap Times Idea Fest. This is a podcast bringing you some of the conversations from this year's Idea Fest, a two day event at the University of Wisconsin Madison that brought together politicians, artists, activists, community leaders, and others to talk about the big issues shaping our community, our state, and beyond. Today, will healthcare IT supercharge Madison's economy? The Madison region has already become something of a hub for healthcare information technology, thanks to companies like Epic Systems and a network of other startups that have launched in the space. At IdeaFest, we held a panel all about what the current landscape looks like in the city, as well as what it would take for it to go to the next level. Taha Jangda with HealthX Ventures moderated the talk. I'll let him take it from here. So thank you again for, for making it this early in the morning. You know, I know it's one of the, the last few awesome, awesome days left of the summer. So I appreciate it for you guys being here. We, we were actually as a panel debating whether or not we should we should have the session outside. But um, really, what today's about, today's about is really finding an identity, right? Madison has quickly and really become the epicenter of health tech, right? And and a lot of us living here don't really see that, right? Even myself, until you know, I, I had the the privilege of moving to Madison around five years ago when I joined Redox. Um, leaving the Texas Medical Center. And, and what I've been able to do outside of HealthX is also work with a federal entity on evaluating innovation ecosystems across the country. And what we have here in Madison is truly something special. Um, and it's something that we can all really get around. You know, Madison has one of the most diverse economies in the country. And it's also been one of the places of most rapid growth for tech jobs as well. Um, and, and I think recently Bloomberg actually announced that Madison is number two for millennials moving to Madison. So there's a lot of stuff going on. And what I want to focus today on is really talking and shining a light on, on our three panelists here this morning. Um, and, and, you know, Redox and Dotcom Therapy are two, uh, two companies that are based in Madison, Wisconsin, that are HealthX portfolio companies. And we also have, you know, NewGen and WA Trust that's been representing over well over 100,000 public employees of the state, right, and bettering their health care, um, and has been around in Wisconsin since 1970. So the goal of today is to really talk about that, how we supercharge, continue to supercharge this economy, but also really center around and, and plan our flag around healthcare IT as a, as a local city and economy. So with that, I'd like to begin our introductions. You know, if you guys can say who you're with, where you're from, and, and some of you when you move to Madison. That'd be great. Hi, everybody. Ooh, is, is that about right? All right, cool. Uh, my name is Luke Bonney. Uh, I'm one of the three co-founders and CEO with Redox. Um, we're a developer-first platform that helps um, 
digital health and healthcare IT applications scale integration across health systems all, all across the country. And today we're integrated with over 500 health systems, uh, representing about 25% of US hospitals. Um, so my background, I actually grew up in a little town in upstate New York, uh, went to school at Cornell, graduated in 2008. If anybody remembers what was going on in 2008, not a great time to graduate. <laughs> Expanded my, my job search um, to a, a, a little company called Epic, moved out here, and have been out here ever since. Um, Madison is absolutely my home. Uh, we've been here 11 years. I have a, a wonderful wife and son, Zeke, uh, and we, we absolutely love it. I'm Sanaz Cordes. I am the CEO of Dotcom Therapy. Um, unlike Taha, I graduated from medical school and oh. residency and practice for a little bit. Giving you a hard time. Um, so doctorpreneur is sort of the title that's been thrown at me. But um, I also moved to Madison about six and a half years ago. Um, after I left healthcare practice, I switched over to healthcare technology um, and quickly found in the large corporate setting that, you know, they just couldn't move fast enough to solve problems. And it was going to take uh, PhD dropouts from places like UW with the vision and the desire to take those risks. So I actually met uh, three guys in a garage. One of them's here now, and it's this his third startup in Madison. He's chief technology officer. Um, and I met them and I took a risk. What they were doing was amazing, integrating with Epic and automating physician workflow. So that's what brought me here. Um, that company grew to about 35 people. Um, it's doing really well, 15,000 physicians using the product. And so from there, I just fell in love, um, stayed in Madison, you know, fell in love with Madison, um, and started another <laughs> company where I worked with about 50 startups all over the country, um, basically helping them start up in healthcare um, technology. And so that was really eye-opening um, and really made me value what we have here in Madison and how the culture here um, you know, really supports that. And so now, five months into my new role, I'm the CEO of, I think, one of the largest digital health companies here. Um, we're uh, about 135 folks. We do teletherapy all over the world. Um, and we bring services initially to special ed children um, who live in rural areas and just can't have access to these federally mandated services, but have expanded into healthcare and other areas. So thanks so much for being here. And I'm Tim Bartholow. Um, I'm uh, I'm the buyer of extraordinary ideas, or I'm one of the one of the recurring revenue sources, right? Um, and uh, actually, both of you uh, need recurring revenue just yet, right? But we're working on uh, on uh, those opportunities. So uh, I'm a family doc. I'm uh, I started out an Iowa farm guy, and where waste, by the way, is immoral, and. Um, we, um, I trained through uh, medical school in St. Louis, Wash U, and uh, came to Sauk City. Some of you would know uh, extraordinary uh, vistas that direction. Um, I spent about 20 years there, and then five years at the State Medical Society as Chief Medical Officer, and then last, uh, uh, since 2014 at uh, WA Trust. Uh, WA Trust recently acquired uh, another uh, health plan, uh, health tradition, so we're now uh, that group. Um, we, uh, I joined that organization, uh, probably importantly for this crowd, at the time just after uh, Act 10. You'll remember that there was a large conversation about uh, how buying of healthcare should happen. Um, what, what ultimately, the, the condition that existed was that uh, WA Trust was in this position that it needed to be able to innovate quickly in order to um, change the way that we were consuming uh, healthcare provider product. And um, so 
part of that story has to include extraordinary ideas uh, like we have on the stage here. And so we've, we've taken an aggressive posture toward um, identifying what will probably be a portfolio of, I'm guessing, 15 or, or so ideas, uh, startups that actually are bringing uh, rapid value and helping uh, transform a healthcare marketplace. Awesome. Thank you. And just out of curiosity from the crowd, how many of you are from Wisconsin originally? If you can get to raise your hands. All right. Okay, that's awesome. Anyone who's been who moved here recently or in the past couple of years or see yourself staying here for uh, for the next five years? All right, everyone's here. All right, that's awesome. So no, it, it's just, it helps really understanding of really where we take this panel. Um, and, and one of the things I want to start from, you know, it's uh, there was a trigger the other night while while watching the debate of where. Um, education is playing a very key role and, and one of the statements by one of the candidates was um, you know educators are are so integral to everything right I think if we go across the panel each of us can recall one or two teachers in our lives who've really played a very important part of our lives and what you guys are doing are really making sure that their health is health and well-being is is at the forefront so I, I'd love to hear kind of what, what type of things you guys are doing and how you're able to leverage, you know, the, the new ecosystem that's existing in, in Madison with companies like Redox and .com. And, and I know you guys have done investments too. Yeah, so um, this is, uh, that's an interesting, important thread between us, actually. Um, so WA Trust uh, was, um, was born in 1970 in part because... Uh, the teachers at the time were realizing that if um, somebody had uh, a cancer of some kind, they would be let go from work. Why? Because they would cost money and they couldn't be at work. Um, you know, think of the think of the distance we've come uh, in the conversation around pre-existing conditions. Um, if you were pregnant in 1970 and you were a teacher, right? You couldn't be at work, and you would cost money, and you were you were discharged. Um, and in fact, uh, uh, John Matthews in this town would have started his career actually around that. Um, we as a company uh, that have focused on uh, both teachers and more recently on uh, employee trust fund, uh, we know that every dollar we're spending is coming from a taxpayer. Um, and as we buy healthcare insurance, all of us, right, every dollar though that we're spending, right, is coming from some citizen someplace. 20% uh, of everything we're making, right, is as a consequence of, of, um, of a health care expense uh, uh, or will be spent on health care ultimately. The, um, the trust realizes uh, in a specific example that um, in our teacher block, the most common drug that we're now prescribing is, is an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety uh, agent. We know that uh, some people metabolize an antidepressant in uh, uh, one way through their liver and some in another way. We know that pharmacogenomics uh, will be an important part of how we figure out how to best help somebody who's uh, working with um, a diagnosis of depression. We also think, though, that, that um, uh, treating them with a, you know, a precision dosing strategy, uh, while important, is not necessarily going to be the, the ultimate answer. The ultimate answer may be some sort of a uh, telehealth therapy. And in fact, we were so compelled by this that um, we have a telehealth solution uh, for behavioral health in this town or across Wisconsin. We can't uh, actually get to a psychiatrist uh, probably in less than about four months. 
And, um, and that's a long time to wait uh, for many of these conditions, right? So we actually make uh, therapy available um, on, on uh, about 48-hour demand. Uh, sometimes it's 72, but it's not over three days. And we make that available for free because uh, we understand that our, our, uh, the population that we're taking care of needs it so badly. If I can lead into some of the other responses, I can't do that work without folks who deliver content uh, like dot-com therapy can, and I can't really do that without the pipeline between provider systems and, and the, the team taking care of somebody that Redox uh, helps make, so. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, you know, I think a lot of times when we have panels and discussions like these, we immediately go to, this is what's wrong. This is what's wrong. This is what's happening in Seattle. This is what's happening in Austin, and, and, and the list kind of goes on, but you know, we, we really do have something here. I mean, if you even look at the crowd, you know, this many people at 8 a.m. on a Saturday um, is, is really humbling, right? So, you know, maybe, maybe Sanaz and Luke, you guys could talk about what's going on that's right here. What's something that we're doing well and something positive that we can talk about? Um, so I actually came from California, which consistently ranks number one for, you know, the startup space. And if you look at sort of the top five, Boston, New York, um, you know, Austin, Chicago. So at the time, six and a half years ago, Madison really wasn't on the map. Um, and it was interesting. I was reading, I think, about a week ago that if you look at per capita, yeah, California is about 6.7%. Boston's about 4.2%. But we're right there. We're at 4.1%. So that's really exciting to me to see that just in the last six years, we've had you know over 10 startups that I know of in my space, healthcare, um, you know, come on board. We have a billion dollars under management in this country. So we're kind of like the silent, you know, <laughs> silent winner, you know, of this of this race. Um, and just getting that story out is really important. So when I came here, you know, one of the things that really resonated with sort of that Midwest infusion into this space that, you know, honestly is not always friendly, not, you know, easy to navigate the venture capital space, especially for women, which I have to throw out my little, you know, statistics, 3% um, of dollars go to female founders and female entrepreneurs. And, you know, companies like HealthX, um, seeing so many females in the, in the leadership role has been really, you know, what's the story we want to tell. But coming here, seeing the hands-on approach, you know, these investors aren't just writing a check. Um, they're, you know, they're involved. And that's kind of a very different model, um, especially back then. Um, and I feel like, you know, that was really attractive to me to be able to pick up the phone and call somebody who, you know, has sold and exited, you know, multi-million dollar companies who's willing to drop what they're doing to talk to me about, you know, a cap table, you know, how equity distribution is and what we should be doing for our next raise. So I think, you know, some of those sort of high touch factors and seeing that growth trajectory and, you know, the personality here of the space um, are some of the reasons why. And I moved here for Madison for a startup, and then now the startup that I'm in, we moved here. So that company that I joined as a CEO was in a different state, Missouri, um, and the corporate team moved here. Um, we're hiring people here. So I don't know. I just think that that's you know, part of why people are attracted to this, to this location. So it's a movement story. Yeah. 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 So I think... When I was thinking about your question, Taha, what immediately came to mind is how Redox got started. Because I think, at least for me, that's the very personal version of why is Madison so special. So the, the quick story, and 
some of you have been fortunate or unfortunate enough to hear the story before, but stick with us. Um, the quick story of how Redox got started is, is, as I said, I'm one of the three co-founders. And all three of us, we grew up all across the country and moved here to work at Epic. And we got to know each other there. And the two other co-founders, um, James, who is our CTO, and Nico, who we've yet to figure out the right title for Nico five years later. Evangelist. Magician. Evangelist. <laughs> Stage performer. Um, they actually left uh, about a year before I did in early 2013 and started an organization called 100 State. Um, has anybody here heard of or interacted with, with 100 State? So 100 State, the basic idea was Madison has this growing intellectual capital that wasn't really able to take advantage uh, of itself because there was no place to come together and run into each other and share ideas. So they, along with a few other folks, started 100 State in early 2013. And today, it's now a beautiful co-working space just off the square. And if you haven't checked it out, I 100% recommend you, you, you should go and check it out. There's, there's really interesting things happening there. I got involved um, in really early 2014 when we realized that 30 to 40% of the folks coming through that co-working space had deep healthcare IT experience. They were coming out of Epic. They were coming out of UW. Um, Madison at that point already had a lot of the, the, the density. So we actually started a co-branded but totally separate organization that we called 100 Health. And I'm embarrassed to say it, but the tagline for 100 Health, and again, some of you will remember this, is we proclaimed that we were going to help start 100 digital health companies in Madison over the next five years. And it was a crazy statement, but the whole point was why not? And there was really two underlying ideas that I think are still true uh, in Madison today. Number one is that the country is poised to make significant progress from a healthcare standpoint. There's been regulation that's had major impact over the past 12, 15 years. As a, as a, as a country and as an economy, we know this needs to happen. So change is actually really happening. And then the second thing is this incredible, unique density of talent. And the fact that you can walk down State Street on a Friday night and hear people complaining about overbooked appointments at a physician office and have any idea what they're talking about. So while we didn't start 100 digital health companies in Madison, what we did do is start seven. And after starting those seven, um, that was what actually seeded the idea for us to start Redox. And today Redox is about uh, at 130 people. Uh, and we're continuing to scale really quickly. But I think our story talks a lot about what is special and what is continuing to happen more and more here in Madison. And it's, it's not just our identity, it's something that's needed because of the, the innovation that's needed in healthcare. Yeah, and I actually want to follow up on that. You know, one of the, the moments where really transformed of how I thought of Madison was, I remember, you know, working out at 100 State Office with Redox and, and uh, hearing you on the phone, you know, talking to investors. Luke, by the way, is a phenomenal fundraiser for companies. So if anyone <laughs> needs advice, uh, you know, Luke Bonney and Mark Bakken uh, hiding back there are the two people to, to definitely speak to around it um, and how to scale. But, you know, one of the statements I remember you made was, you know, it was, a, it was an investor from the West Coast and it was a brand name investor that said, hey, we will write you a check of a ton of money, X, you know, well over 10 or $15 million dollars um, if you move the team to San Francisco or California. Mm -hmm. 
and your immediate reaction was just full on just punch and said, sorry, that's not going to happen because Madison is poised for that was this, this, and this. And that was a time when there were six people literally scrambled in one small office where everyone was just like, we just said no to this much money. And, and really that, that really changed my, my perception of Madison. Well, right? I think and, and I'd love to, you know, hear that and maybe reflect on that. And then, you know, Three years later, or two mm -hmm. years later, you know, Redox raised the largest software or technology venture round that the state has ever seen, right? So that goes into a whole other list of questions around retention of talent, right? But mm -hmm. before we go on the retention side, I'd love to reflect on that I, moment. Well, I haven't thought of that particular moment in time for quite some time. <laughs> I can't believe I said that in that moment. <laughs> but, um, I do remember reflecting on that and realizing that I thought the investor was, at that moment, incredibly short-sighted. Um, their typical pitch to any entrepreneur, and I'm sure you, you experienced this, is move out to the Bay Area. We have the human capital to help you scale companies. And my point was, well, for the company we're building, the human capital is here in, in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, and we actually used that question to help vet other investors. Um, and today we're now in a very different situation where I think there is an entire category of world-class uh, investors and investor teams that are intentionally seeking out companies outside of the hotbeds of the Bay Area and New York um, because great ideas come from everywhere and the barriers to starting companies continue to, to erode. Um, so that again just speaks again to, to, to some of the tailwinds that I think we're experiencing here. Awesome. Thank you. Can, can I talk yeah, about, uh, I want to talk about 100 State real quick, too, um, yeah. <laughs> as an old guy. Uh, so if my experience, some of you would have shared this, uh, as you attended soirees at uh, uh, 100 Health. Now, 100 State, 100 Health. At 100, 100 State, um, a soiree, you might think, well, that must be, you know, people swinging from chandeliers and drinking uh, fancy <laughs> That uh, just happened later in the evening. <laughs> yeah, they can't, they can't afford all that, right? So they, if they swing from chandeliers, it's with beer and pizza. Uh, uh, but they, the way that the soiree worked was that you would have a, a group of maybe 200 people in, a, in, a, in the space, which is a lot. In fact, I wouldn't even want to talk about the fire code. But... Um, on every door, there would be a different topic of discussion that folks would migrate to about every 15 or 20 minutes or so with a whiteboard in that room. And about every 15, 20 minutes, a bell would ring, and then you would switch to something else. Well, what topic would you, you know, you'd think, well, okay, we're going to talk about databases, we're going to talk about fire, we're going to talk about you know, various sort of technical things. No. We don't want to talk about transportation. We want to talk about housing. We want to talk about education. We want to talk about, and, and it was so dramatically refreshing, right, to have people sort of thinking about triple bottom line or, you know, th this wasn't just, it wasn't just a return moment. And I think one of the, one of the extraordinary values, if we're going to brand, right, the, the kind of investing that we're thinking through is that there's a, um, there's a frustration, I think, that, uh, you know, our, our uh, entrepreneurial layer and the talent that we've had uh, available has said, look, we, we're capable of not just a 22% return, right? We're capable of, of good returns and, and, and real value to a community. And so uh, I don't know how you all designed that, uh, Luke, and the folks that put that together, but uh, I'm deeply admiring. No, thank you. 
Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that the truth is things like that happen when you have a group of people who are willing to take risks. Because um, the truth of the matter is the first soiree had never happened until it happened, and it could have been a total disaster. So the, the comment there is to have a community that is supportive enough to take risk and to know that there's going to be failure and then to get back up and do it again. And I think that is, again, one of the things that you feel here that you might not feel in other places is you have a group of people in a community that have your back as an entrepreneur. Oh, that's awesome. Following up on the, the co-working spaces side, you know, I remember being at the Texas Medical Center and we were looking at what we could do with the 100,000 square foot facility we'd purchased to be an accelerator. And I remember reading through reports, right? And um, one of the reports talked about 100 state and, uh, and it being the largest co-working space. And I, I remember this because I, I looked at the report, finished it, and then there Nico and James were, literally from Redox, from Madison. I was like, we have the experts. Literally, when you're looking at it, you know, 100 state was really one of the first true co-working centers across the country. You know, now you have Matter in Chicago, 1776 in, in Washington, D.C., and you have them all across the country. And even in Madison, you know, I, I want to speak to, you know, Sanaz now of where, you know, you're next to Starting Block and you're also in another co-working space, and now we have Industrious on the Square. How important are those type of infrastructure conversations that we have to have for this? Yeah, no, I was just thinking that, you know, it's 100 state and then how many more have... have erupted you know on the scene um yeah i spent some time at starting block it's great on the on the west coast um one of my clients was out there a large venture firm so i went out for about a month i feel like there was just a lot of distraction you know the investments came from all over um and it was just very distracted and so the attempt to kind of co-work and you know have that support for each other was there here i feel like it's you know i know that it is um, an environment that I think you put it well. If you have entrepreneur DNA, you're a risk taker, right? If you see something that's scary, you run towards it, not away from it. Um, and I think that's been a curve that we've had to kind of get over that hump here in Madison. So I think the co-working space is great because I think seeing others doing it and holding hands and saying, well, let's all jump together. Um, it's just, you know, it was lonely when you do it by yourself. Um, and so as I watch sort of this younger, you know, next generation come in and they're supporting each other, they have access to folks like Luke um, and others who've been in this game and it's just less scary and there's more resources to them. You know, the, when they ask you to move to the West Coast, it's exactly right. It's, you know, well, we can surround you with a network and make lots of introductions for you and, you know, have support. And I've seen in the last five years, we don't, we don't really need that. You know, like we have it now. We have our own. We have investors. We have entrepreneurs who've done it and failed. Entrepreneurs have done it on a trajectory, hopefully us as well. Um, and, you know, we, we really don't, we don't need it. And the other thing is that the investors that are here, um, and again, kudos to HealthX, have those relationships with the coasts and with these other areas. So those things are available to us, but in a strategic, less noisy, less, you know, distracted way where you're not just lost in a sea of, you know, other folks, but you're in a startup co-working environment where you matter. And if I ahead, could please. add, I think that uh, I think uh, Mark and others uh, in this environment have relationships that Sequoia may need. So when um, you know when 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 brand name venture actually uh, needs to attach to some uh, wisdom around electronic medical record, 
um, I think you'd be poorly served to miss the opportunity, right, to call some of your friends uh, in what, what used to be flyover country. So, so that leads into um, an another question. You know, now, now kind of leaving the startup world, but with organizations like WA Trust, you know, with um, M3 that's in town, and I, I believe Exact Sciences and, and the university as well, you know, how do you really get them more and more engaged um, with the local ecosystem? And, and you know, I want to give a shout-out to, to Zach Brandon that, that just uh, came in earlier around the chamber, um, you know, and, and with Mark. They've done a lot of that and trying to really – a lot of it's education, right? Um, but outside of education, how do you really get started? And how do you really get people to see, hey, this is out there? Yeah, so we uh, – uh, great great question, Taha. We, um, as a company, uh, an insurance company, uh, has to reserve money, right? Um, Northwestern Mutual has a quarter of a trillion under management. Um, we, You know, if you look across the – Insurance ecosystem. There's there's quite a lot of uh, reserved cash uh, within the uh, state, and if you look across, uh, say, banking or pensions and such, um, I think there's a recognition that there there's a good deal of capital. The question is, can you make that efficient, or can you make that um, can you make that capital actually do work that that meets other goals? So one of the opportunities here, obviously, then is we've got this ecosystem that's emerging, and can you take a little bit of of cash that actually fits your governance uh, uh, policies uh, where you can take some risk? Or would you aggregate uh, some of the dollars that you have in reserving with, with other syndicate investors? Uh, maybe you don't or we don't as uh, uh, WA Trust, we don't do the full diligence on uh, a particular deal, but we do the diligence of, of uh, working with uh, a um, venture capital firm or five or seven that can help us understand where the next best um, investment is. An investment for us, I want to remind, uh, and you can hear it in my language, um, it, it, isn't just, it isn't about return, actually. We want to be recurring revenue. We want to be on advisories. We want to be uh, where appropriate on uh, uh, a board, whether we're owners or not. We'll make some direct investments. Um, but we really want to be um, sort of full contact uh, investors, and I, I think that I think that's um, I think that's becoming. Zach and and others are helping. Um, Milwaukee has some very important work. Wausau's got some important work. Lacrosse, we're seeing the Idea Fund pick up some steam there. Um, we're seeing a group of people in towns across Wisconsin ask the question: How do we take? Uh, how do we take resources that we might have parked someplace and allowed Wall Street or somebody else to, to you know, made returns for us, and how do we uh, invest these more locally, and how do we assess what the sort of the community value uh, additionally is? You know, and, and we were talking about risk and kind of the persona of an entrepreneur. Um, you know, there's, there's two separate questions here. Um, and I'll, I'll start with the two of you being doctorpreneurs or um, change agents and change agents as physicians, right? But throughout, you know, the journey of medicine, it's very longitudinal and it's very anti-risk, right? And you're on a very, very secure and direct path of what you have to do, right? I think any form of medicine, whether you're practicing or whether you're doing research, right? A lot of science is really around peer review, right? Um, how do we begin to start changing that and really increasing the appetite for it, right? Because a lot of times 
you don't know that that's an option. You don't know that, hey, technology can go in and, and better my delivery of care, right, and, and, and better outcomes. So that's oh, uh, I can take question. that one. <laughs> yeah, please. No, no, I, that's I'm lived, looking directly at I've you. lived through that. Yeah, so, you know, when I switched to healthcare, the EMR was like, it's a new thing. Um, and so I call, you know, cultural adoption. So just getting physicians, even in my own practice group, to just use an EHR. Like that was our first taste. Those of us who were excited about it and understood that other industries were, you know, decades ahead of healthcare and, and embracing technology and cultural adoption. So with that, it began, right? The story began. So physicians, there was one group that's, you know, we're not interested. We're going to stick to, you know, paper. <laughs> and then you get the next group who embraced it, optimized it. And so for those of us who were selling in that space, um, tools to enhance the, you know, the EHR at the time, it was um, physician order sets. Um, cultural adoption was huge, you know, being able to explain to a physician, this is going to help you, and you're still going to have, you know, the input and everything you learned in medical school um, funnel through that, but it's going to help you, it's going to save you time. Um, and then it just, the story kept going, because to be, uh, to, to start up something, to innovate something, you have to see a problem way before the rest of that industry sees it. So you identify a problem. You have to define why is it a problem? What is it costing you, right? What is the human cost, the financial cost, the lost revenue cost, the quality of care cost? And then you have to convince a group of people that have been risk averse, who like the status quo, whose answer is, it's not broken, we've been doing it this way forever. Then you have to convince them that this is a real problem and that they need to solve it because there's a better way. So then that was the next wave of physician cultural adoption. I don't mean to pick on physicians, you know, nurses, anybody that's in that healthcare space. Um, and so you have to do it again, right? And then you do a data-driven model and you say, look, you've got a shortage of, you know, family practitioners in your group. They're spending 30 minutes a day reviewing charts. This tool can automate this for you. And now it's the equivalent of one FTE physician that you've saved time on. And so you start to have these conversations. I recently wrote a blog that said everything old is new again. Because when you look at different, you know, areas of healthcare or ancillary to healthcare startups, it's like that story starts all over again, right? Then we move to mental health, same curve, right? Getting people to come over that, that hump of like, this is how we've done it. And we'll wait four months to see a psychiatrist in person because that's just what we do. Um, and then it started all over again, cultural adoption. Now the consumer is part of that story, right? Getting them to, to hold hands with the physicians and, and accept that. And now we've got apps that are being used everywhere to save time, increase access to care, your story with, you know, your organization, your health insurance, providing that free. I mean, that was not even feasible. In the space I'm in now, it's like we're doing it all over again. Now we're teletherapy. So it's the intersection of healthcare, health tech, and ed tech education, right? If there's any industry that is more <laughs> stuck in the status quo and tech You do averse, run at the hard problems, don't you? Oh, man. It's education. <laughs> like, I thought I lived through a decade of it. Now we're in the education space, and we're saying, look, look what's happened with these other spaces, um, and let's do it again. You know, these kids who need special education um, services that the, the state mandates you to provide um, occupational therapy, speech therapy, dyslexia, mental health, ADHD, all these things. Things, this state mandated that you do it. You're out of compliance. You know, in Alaska, one of our early customers, there were four kids that were getting the services they need out of 40 because you can't get, you know, these ancillary care specialists to 
jump on bush planes and go out and deliver it. So now you're trying to get this entire industry, you know, healthcare to embrace that, yeah, teletherapy, having access to the best dyslexia specialist in Michigan is possible if I live in like rural, you know, Oklahoma. Um, so it's just cultural adoption, explaining the story, having people understand that there is a problem and that there is a solution and willing to kind of take that risk with you. But the good news is it can be done. I mean, look how far we've come with healthcare, you know, what we've done. I mean, we used to be paper and now I don't know <laughs> if that even exists. So it's exciting to be able to be on the forefront um, and, and try to move that needle and see, see the progress that's been happening with it. I hope someone's taking notes because that sounds like a awesome blogger or press release <laughs> right there. So it's awesome. Can I, can I go in? Please, yeah. So, uh, so how is healthcare going to? How how is healthcare as a sort of established uh, um, discipline going to make a change? I, you know, I I invite us all to ask the question: um, Are we are we happy with the wait time for certain things that we need? Right. And, and I, it doesn't matter whether I am the CEO of a hospital or I am uh, an insurer or I am a citizen. Um, we know that getting an appointment at orthopedics tomorrow or even today is different than access to getting a behavioral health visit or a psychiatry visit in four months. We know that uh, I have experienced people in this town, ladies and gentlemen, who are waiting as known type 1 diabetics for an endocrinologist for 9 and 12 month appointments. And I'm not kidding. Um, we, know that, um, we know that we have patients, uh, sadly, at the WA Trust who are on 12 medications. 12 medications is probably a signal of not completely getting healthcare coordinated. So what would you think about 16 medications? And what would you think about 21 medications? And what would you think about 26 medications? I have people in my care that are on these extraordinary uh, admissions that we're just not achieving the kind of coordination we need, especially for folks who have multiple conditions, right? And as you all know and have read, um, these, are the, these are the very folks that, that we as a community need to take uh, most careful care of, and are the most expensive, by the way. Um, I, 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 would, um, I would ask you why we don't have the sort of precision uh, uh, dosing for medications when that's necessary. Um, are we doing the pharmacogenomics? Are we actually studying how the drug is metabolized in the gut properly? And actually, some of this is pretty well known, right? So, um, and, and finally, I would say, you know, amongst these challenges in, in medicine that we're not getting done and that we have actually some answers for in that startup space, um, one of the things that we're, we're challenged by is a 6% trend in healthcare expense while we have 2% wage trend. So what that really means is that a person's going to work every day, right? And, and then somebody is saying, well, we realize you're working hard, but a greater proportion of your family budget needs to actually come to healthcare. And, and we, we have got to stop that. That has, that has got to stop. Uh, Madison's a great place for that to happen. Um, Tim Harrington, put up your hand. Tim Harrington's worked on these issues for a great long time. How is it that you most carefully uh, try to coordinate care? And, and uh, sort of uh, uh, medicine that has been sort of entrenched has not always said, oh, yes, Tim, we're going uh, to embrace every important idea. But I want you to think about a new book he's got, Great Healthcare. Uh, value, and um, 
it's on Amazon, Tim, right? Not, no. We have talked to Tim. Okay, so there's Tim. Sean Burlot, put your hand up. So the WISP Met Assure, uh, a, um, uh, an organization that they do the insurance uh, affiliated with the Wisconsin Medical Society. Wisconsin Medical Society put up $75,000 in order to be a sponsor for uh, on-ramp health with Generator. Um, so it's, it's, there is seriousness in this environment about how it is that we're going to bring folks together. And the 175 startups that actually came to the, that event, right, at Lambeau Field, um, turned out to have people still calling me, and I mean physicians, who are still calling me about the 13th contact they made um, at that event. And, and you, can't, you just can't say um, the environment isn't changing, it isn't, frankly, robust. We all, some of us, remember Woodstock, right? I would just say 100 states may in the history of Wisconsin actually be one of those sorts of events. This podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences. Join the Madison-based team working to lead earlier cancer detection. Visit exactsciences.com to view the company's hundreds of open jobs. Right, now transitioning, or, uh, or, or Luke, um, really around Epic, right? Like there's, there's an army of people out there that have made Redox successful and, and obviously Epic successful and Nordic and Blue Tree and a lot of those type of organizations. How do we get in front of those individuals who are highly, highly trained and really one in few specialists that exist nowhere else in the world um, to, to come into this space and, and what value are they providing immediately? Yeah, I, I think this is a really interesting question and somebody should, I think there's a talk later today <laughs> Judy's yeah, speaking. Judy's speaking on Somebody should ask her this question as well. Um, but just from my own experience, as somebody who graduated from school, moved here, had, on the day I started in 2008, I was, I think there was 179 of us that started on the same day, July 6, 2008. And today, a fraction of those people are still in Madison, Wisconsin. So I think there is a real question of how do you, how do you help those folks build roots? And I think from, from my standpoint, there was serendipitous moments that happened both while I was, I was working at Epic as well as after, there, uh, after my time there. Um, but I think the thing we can do is tell the story and tell the story um, broadly outside of, uh, outside of Madison, but also tell it within Madison. And if there's one thing that, um, so a, a lot of folks you know, reach out to me and say, hey, what can I do to help hire the next executive or help bring in that, that, that uh, investment uh, team that's gonna help the company grow? And the best answer is figure out how to tell your story. And the only way you can do that is by telling it a thousand times tearing it up and telling it a thousand more times. So I, I think, and this goes perhaps against uh, maybe some of the natural um, cultural foundation we have here in the Midwest. Um, you don't have to be braggadocious about what you do, but you have to be willing to say how it could change the world. 
Um, and if we can figure that out, and it's happening, but I think that, that, that process of telling a story, being receptive to understand how the audience engaged or did not engage with it, and then telling it again, I, I know it sounds silly, but I think it's the most powerful thing we can do to keep people here and continue to bring people here um, to understand what we've got. Yeah, I want to add to that. I think it would, you know, it would be remiss really not to focus on Epic for a moment. I mean, you're ab absolutely right. I think, you know, myself being an example, moving from California to here for a startup that Epic was the food source, you know, integrating with Epic. And I'm sure most people in the audience are familiar with Epic, but really, I mean, almost 400 health systems. It's the largest, you know, EHR in the world. Um, companies like Nordic were born because of it. So it's kind of a big deal. <laughs> and when you look at, you know, the cities um, that are in that top five or, you know, places like Hopkins that are known to kind of generate these startups and have this space, I think we're uniquely different because we have that with UW and all the, you know, work that's done with Wharf and others, but we have Epic. And so not only does it bring this talent you know, trains them in this highly specialized thing that's definitely needed and being used at places like, you know, Mayo Clinic and all the, all the large health systems. We have both of that. So we have two reasons why we're generating highly educated, highly skilled workers. And it's, it's such an opportunity that a startup was actually born out of that opportunity of marrying that um, Carex Consulting you know, saw that, wow, we have all this talent. We have all this growth in the startup space. We've got the university. We want to keep these people here. Um, these people move from other states, and, you know, maybe after a couple of years, a lot of them plan to go back. And Carex Consulting, if you have time to take a look at their website, they actually take that talent and find places to put them. So when the startups say, you know, where can I find a good project implementer or somebody who knows, now we have a system, you know, and that's really starting to grow. And that's probably also part of our story that we have to tell. And regardless of our relationship with Epic, and some of us have scars and bruises from Epic, you know, we have to thank Epic for kind of creating that. Um, and that's part of the story that I think is uniquely Madison, that we should probably do a, you know, even better job getting out there. Yeah, no, 100%. So how do, you, how do you share that story? And then also, you know, when you think about it, you mentioned John Hopkins, right? The largest, a lot of these hospital institutions, you know, Epic has represents around 90% of market share of academic medical centers across the country. You know, that equals out to a little over 54% of the U.S. patient population. But those institutions are also the largest employers in their, in their municipalities. Um, so there's a lot of things that happen to Madison. And then, you know, bringing a lot of Epic's customers to Madison's at least, what, twice a year? And they're here for one or two weeks. So... In that time frame, I'm also thinking you can share the story of Madison. You know, we always talk about high yield, right? You can share the story of Madison with those people that are coming from across the country here, but you can also share it with individuals who are, you know, very active and they're, they're also selling Madison to their customers. You know, how do we get out there and share that story, you know, with successes, obviously, but in other ways, how do we share that story? I mean, I think part of it is you put your money where your mouth is. You know, in our organization, we look there first. You know, we look at folks that have come from there. We look at Carex to help find those people. We talked to, you know, Mark Bakken. Um, and so the startups I've been involved with, you know, we have that talent. I mean, your whole company, you know, one of the most successful startups in the country, um, that's the talent that started it. So, 
it's a great point that you bring, and I think that could be one key factor when people say, you know, wow, Madison, Wisconsin, you're kind of maybe in the middle of nowhere, and yet you guys have grown and you're so successful. It's We really need to remind them of that ecosystem and Epic being a part of it, um, university and, and whatnot, you know, telling that story. I'm, I'm going to jump into the audience's questions, but before I do, you know, Tim, you, know, you, you represent a pretty large organization, and how do you educate them of what exists outside the, the four walls of your building, but then also, you know, you also serve as an advisor with, you know, many people in the audience who are very successful in what they did, like Dr. Fred Robertson and Mark Bakken and many of you in the audience. How do you continue to build that, that mass and translate it to people who, who need help for it? Well, Fred and Mark become, right, uh, and others become very, very important in trying to identify um, what that next opportunity is. Um, I think you all, um, we're benefiting today by an unapologetic uh, cap times. And when folks are able to, you know, stand up and say, here are the things that are not quite right with your community, and here are things that are actually extraordinary about your community, let's not miss the, op the, the, the um, uh, you know, the debt of gratitude, frankly, that we deserve, uh, that, that, um, uh, that journalism uh, deserves in our landscape. And you know, um, that's under some threat right now, right? Um, we, you know, we have a we have a long tradition um, in this state of doing some of this work, and I, I think we don't always remember to to tell ourselves this story. Um, I'd recommend to all of us uh, if you haven't seen Kevin Walters' uh, piece uh, at uh, Wednesday night at the lab. Everybody. Uh, Everybody watches Wednesday night at the lab or may be aware of uh, some of that work, but Kevin talks about how wharf happened, right? So um, we were studying vitamin D and vitamin A, actually in the reverse order, he's done vitamin A and vitamin D, and, and, uh, and the question came, well, does intellectual property matter? And, and Babcock, as he's thinking about um, uh, and being assigned, frankly, the, the responsibility of working on something that's important and comes up with butterfat, they make a decision not to patent. And, and we, we knew at that time that, that there was an opportunity to retain some residual and grow the next 50 good ideas if we were to, to establish a wharf, right? So um, back in Van Nuys' uh, day, right, we came up with this Wisconsin idea, which was that, right, that the university would be relevant to all of its citizens. I don't think this is actually completely new, right? I think the current, um, the current expression, epic included, frankly, has benefited, right, by the big data that's come out of soil and weather and a, and a robust uh, debate that's happened within the last century um, in our institutions within the state. And so I, I think it's a bit product in my mind. And, and we should remember, probably, uh, both with gratitude and, frankly, with the fact that it's, uh, we have a set of assets that um, are hard to find elsewhere. No, I, um, you know, one of, one of the, uh, I'll just make one point before we, we go on. Um, one of the hardest things to do for, for small companies is getting those customers, right? And, and the fact that all of the customers of Epic, who you're mainly selling to, who have the budget to purchase things, come to Madison. So that makes it super easy when it comes to sales and commercial success as well. Um, and, and speaking to that, you know, all of you have been here for some time now and you've kind of seen the evolution of it and, and now more successes like a Propeller, like a Blue Tree, like, you know, all these organizations and your own organizations. Where do you see Madison going in the next 
five to ten years and how how um, you know since we're talking about epic might as well ask how much of a role does epic play and, and what's the ideal of an organization like epic working in the, to supercharge the ecosystem so there's like three questions in there but, <laughs> but Luke you can uh, you can start um. I don't know if I'm qualified to talk about what Madison's going to look like in 10 years. Um, I feel like we're going to keep going down East Wash and keep going down West Wash. Um, yeah, I mean, my, my, my answer to that is, is I've been here nine years, and the rate of growth and development has clearly hit an inflection point, at least from what, what I can see radiating out of the, the Capitol Square area and the university area. And I don't see any of that slowing down, I'm seeing that speeding up. And I actually see the retention of talent increasing. More and more of the people that are buying homes, more and more of people that are, that are starting, starting companies, I see that kind of secondary and tertiary economy um, really taking hold. And I actually think that that's the most interesting part of, um, uh, of what the impact can be of, of, of something like Epic. Um, I think they're, you know, the, the kind of question of what does their engagement look like? I mean, number one is their continued success. Um, I think if there's one thing that all of us want, it's, it's, it's not just the, 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 the moment of starting something, it's the moment of scaling something, bringing it to maturity and having it succeed over time. I mean, that's what we want to accomplish. So I think that's number one. And I think uh, number two is continuing to hire amazing people, right? I think the if there's one thing that they that they do out there that's I think better than, you know, you have best of class, world class, and beyond, it's hire really smart people from all over the country and continuing to to inject them in, uh, into our into our communities. So, I say, a lot of us keep doing what you're doing. Um, I think naturally what we're going to start to see is people who not just start their careers there, but people who actually end their careers there, starting to play more of the role that, that Mark and Fred and others have in terms of being smart investors who understand the space and have capital put to, to put to work. So off the cuff, that would be my, uh, That's a good <laughs> my initial response. Yeah, that last part's really true, because same with us. You know, we've got investors that, that came out of that space. Um, so my relationship with Epic has started out a little bit rough, but it was interesting because we were one of the first startups, the one that I moved here, um, that you know started working to work with Epic, and it wasn't easy back then to integrate your product with um, this this you know uh, clearly market share <laughs> dominant EHR. So I think it you know how how are we making it better? If you look at Epic themselves, you know there's lots of large EHR players, Cerner, you know being number two um, in in our country. Epic has also kind of moved the needle. I mean, when we were integrating, integration was a dirty word. Um, it's good for you because it was birth to your company. Um, but, but Epic now has you know, an app store, and now they have a program where they do work with startups, and they're encouraging startups. And so when I had my consulting firm, it was a very different story, and I was almost jealous um, of how they had so many more options of getting in and integrating and bringing these products that bring value. And one thing I'll say about Epic, they are very customer-centric. Um, and so if you can come and show value that it's going to improve the quality of care and the workflow for their you know, health systems, um, that's what's important to them. So they have opened this other 
another path. And the App Store, in case you know, I guess don't know, is just now you can go in and, and integrate your product in, in easier ways. And they actually have a program where they invite you and they you know let you do this. That didn't exist you know a decade ago. So I think they're also really helping to move the needle. Um, and I think that startups kind of are folks with ideas, you know, at the idea stage all over the country are very excited about that. And I think that's moving people here as well, because now, you know, there's an easier path to, to get to that point to be successful with that. Um, you know, I think um, I made my um, history statement around, I think, um, Epic is obviously an important um, contributor to the current landscape, and yet I think also a product, uh, as will the next several be. Um, Epic has been a um, particular success in attracting talent to town, right, and serving healthcare systems. There is a tension, though, ladies and gentlemen, right, between uh, between the affordability of care, and even in this town, even in the state, right, uh, the affordability of care. And, um, and the opportunity to uh, uh, deliver ever more coordinated care. And so one of, the, one of the challenges, I think, for Judy is to understand or think about um, how to integrate the next technologies that may actually um, decrease the rate of increase of revenue into systems. And if that sounds like a hard problem, um, indeed. I think payers like us and our, our sector has to be much more facile in thinking about um, how to deliver um, incentive and reward for those folks who are actually innovating towards slowing the trend of, of healthcare cost growth. Um, I don't think we've done a particularly good job of that um, uh, yet. Um, we have several small experiments uh, going on, uh, and it's going to be probably the next decade's work, if hopefully the next only five years' work, but it may be a decade's work in trying to, to retool how payment works. Um, but I do think we, we again, looking at uh, a triple bottom line uh, approach, right? Okay, so where are the returns, but how also does this affect uh, my environment, how does this affect my, the, the sort of the community in which we live, I think is, um, you know, an important commitment that we should all make together. No, that's, that's very insightful. Um, you know, I, I'd also add, you know, I think there's a need for, for venture dollars coming here, right? And as we have more and more success with companies and, and really stories, right? It's all about finding a narrative and really pursuing that narrative and, and really attracting. You know, it's not just, you know, we have the problem of retention of talent, and I think we also have to look ahead and say, how do we bring talent here as well? You know, growing up in Texas, you know, we all know Austin now, right? You think of Austin before you even think of Texas, and Madison already has that going. Um, it, it, it truly does, and, and Madison, I think, has the ability to, to definitely surpass it. Um, so one, one final ask and, and question I think we'll, we'll end here is what is an ask that you have if, you know, Governor Evers was in the room, all the CEOs in town were in the room, anyone you can make an ask of, what is that ask to make Madison the next, you know, the ground zero for healthcare IT? Luke, I'm going for you again. <laughs> How come I keep the, getting the, the first ones here? I think that the honest truth is... Um, to, and I think you, you do a great job of this, but it's figure out how you can meaningfully support 
the, the startups and the growth stage companies that we have here, whether it's investment, whether it's partnership, whether it's being a customer. I think that the, the biggest thing we can tell is not just the, the stories that, the, you know, the successes that have happened, but, or, or the, the, the pace of, of being able to start something, but having new stories of success over time and how can we support those would be, would be my ask. Whether you're writing policy, leading an organization, or, or investing dollars. Um, so to, uh, 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 we, I won't advise Governor Evers, he uh, a <laughs> very, very wise team uh, and person to, but I would say that um, the investments in tech council and bringing cash uh, and investments to the state um, is probably uh, a proper vehicle or the right kind of thinking. Um, but I would say that um, uh, as we invest in health tech, this community should expect, and this Wisconsin community should expect, healthcare affordability to come out of it. And, um, and I don't think we should be bashful about asking for it. Yeah, and you know, I'm uniquely in a space now where it is um, important to get the ear, you know, of those folks that are, are in those positions. And you know, Tim, I have to give kudos to him. I mean, somebody who's really trying to bring these herding cats, right? So in the legislative space, and then you know, in the public sector, large corp, and then us. Um, so I think getting that audience is important. So you know, there are structured events like this. You know, more and more in Five Lakes Forum recently, I was at. It's great to see that, but. Um, for us, for example, you know, there's legislation that's coming down at a federal level. States are slow to adopt it, you know, dyslexia being one of them. So having more opportunity to get in front of people that are involved with making, you know, laws and regulations and how that money is distributed, that would be, you know, my answer right now. That's my focus, getting an audience with them and having a chance to sort of tell that story that I mentioned earlier, the problem, the solution, and why, you know, it's important to solve it. So there was a way for our venture investment, you know, population here, um, leadership, and, you know, like Tim is doing, um, and folks that are putting, you know, cap times that are putting these organizations together, if we could do more of that, where maybe we bring in the, and get the audience of the actual lawmakers and the people that can move the needle at that level, that would be, you know, my ask. That would be, that would be fantastic to see that. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you again, guys, for this very thought-provoking and uh, inspiring conversation on Saturday morning, and thank you, guys. Thanks so much for listening to Live from Cap Times Idea Fest. More episodes will be coming out shortly. In the meantime, do check out our other podcasts here at the Cap Times. Those include Wedge Issues, The Corner Table, and The Mad Splainers. You can find those and Live from Cap Times Idea Fest at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play Music, or just about anywhere else you can find podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back real soon. This podcast has been brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Once again, be sure to learn more at exactsciences.com.